This is a podcast from 3RRR, 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. tuned to 102.73 Triple R. Time for this week's instalment of... Instalment? Is that the right word? Edition? Radio Marinara. We are the program about all things wet and salty. My name is Bron Burton. And I'm Angeline Charles. How are you, Angeline? I'm good. How are you? Very well, thank you. That's good. Yeah. One week to Community Cup. I know. I know. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I've bought Amber a footy so that she can come out half-time. Excellent. Just <laughs> maybe make, get her to wear a helmet too. I've seen so many kids get clonked on the head. Possibly, yeah. yeah. And we'll gumboots. Make sure if you're taking your dog, you pick up after oh. them. Absolutely. Yes, that too. Uh, thank you very much to Tim for um, wonderful vital bits as always. It was a great show, great music. It was it very is. enjoyable in the car. Excellent way to start your Sunday morning. Let's launch straight into the program. We have a, a very interesting and eclectic one today. Sometimes we go kind of theme-based. Today's a bit of a mixture of everything. We're shortly going to be crossing to Blairgarry to speak with uh, the woman who I consider to be the, uh, the the authority on the spider crabs in Port Phillip Bay. Her name is P.T. Hirschfield. She dives every single day. She's actually been on Radio Marinara in the past. Um, and she has a wonderful uh, web page um, called Pink Tank Scuba. And the reason why it's uh, pink is that she's very open about the fact that she has ovarian cancer and that she is just out there diving every single day and that's part of her therapy. That's amazing. She must really uh, not be bothered by the cold. No, that's right. <laughs> it's getting pretty cold out there now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, PT's out there every day and she's been documenting the arrival of the spider crabs. Yep, um, oh, great. Something that the diving community in Melbourne, around Melbourne, um, anticipates every year because it's a very, it's a spectacular thing. It's actually made uh, national news this week and then gone global as well. Yeah. Um, so we're going to be talking to PT about the arrival of the spider crabs, uh, where they are, a bit of a safety message for people out there if you're wanting to go out and have a look at them because they're, uh, they're in an area where it's not necessarily safe because there's a lot of boating traffic. Yeah. It's all to do with boating traffic. So um, anyway, we'll let uh, PT give us that message as well. Terrific. Yeah. Sounds great. What she doesn't know about spider crabs <laughs> is not worth knowing. So... 
which means she knows everything. Uh, we are then um, going to uh, welcome into the studio um, Bronwyn Pringle and Pippa Bainbridge from uh, La Mama. They have a great uh, production which... Uh, is going to be on throughout the school holidays called Beneath and Beyond. So it's a very family-friendly marine-themed, if you're wondering where where this is heading, production for fun for all the family. Uh, And it's relating to um, the deep sea, really, taking people on a journey through the deep sea, but then into space. Yeah, sounds great. There's a bit of a message in there too about how much we know... Uh, about our deep sea oceans compared to what we know about space. I might have to take up Dr Shane on this one. <laughs> we should. He covers deep sea as well. Uh, and then, to close the show, we're crossing to... Uh, we're, we're, we're going from um, space to Sea uh, Shepherd headquarters down at Seaworks in Williamstown and speaking with Erica McLernan. She's the manager of the Sea uh, Shepherd vessel, the Steve Irwin. And we're going to talk to her about her role and what that's all about, a little bit about her history as well because she's actually got very interesting background and, and not what you might think for someone who's now a very uh, very active eco-activist uh, and also just catching up on their two most recent summer campaigns uh, and the next one which they're gearing up for at the moment. Is it the whaling season? No, uh, no. Oh, their summer campaigns um, they uh, there were two, one called Operation Driftnet which was all to do with drift nets, yep. <laughs> obviously. So um, nets uh, at sea, discarded at sea uh, from the practice of, uh, well, it's we know it as poaching. It's illegal, unreported and unregulated fishing. Uh, and uh, Operation Ice Fish 2, which is to do with the uh, illegal fishing of deep sea fish. So all kind of down south in the Southern Ocean uh, and very effective campaigns as well. Mm, mm. Look forward to hearing about that. Yes. Should we do some weather? We and should. You've got some news. Oh, yeah, go weather first. Okay, we'll do weather first. Today, 14 degrees, that cloudy slight chance of a shower in the evening, light winds, but it is going to be clear today. Big megahertz training session today, Angeline. <laughs> Gearing up for that. Got your boots on yet? Yeah, it's all going according to plan. <laughs> Just like last year when the megahertz took out a mighty win. Terrific. Yeah, it's all going according to plan. Are you hearing that, Rock Dogs? <laughs> you should be very scared. <laughs> Tomorrow, 14 showers. Showers throughout uh, the next few days and then Wednesday partly cloudy in 15. Rain at times Thursday, rain at times Friday and uh, hopefully that's going to get the rain out of the system and uh, temperatures hovering sort of between 13 and 15 for the next few days. Lows getting down to 8 or 9. The tide times, they keep moving it. (laughs) Keeping me on my toes. Down at the heads. Heading for a high tide at 11.28 this morning and then a low tide at 10 to 5 this afternoon. And the surf, oh, I've been seeing some spectacular shots of waves down on the uh, down on the surf coast. This is from Swellnet. Persistent onshore winds maintaining below average surf conditions. That's not what I'm seeing on the, on the surf coast. Across Victorian beaches, water temperature is 15 degrees. Phillip Island, bumpy 1.5 metre waves at open beaches. Cat Bay has small clean waves for uh, desperate surfers. Mornington Peninsula, the surf is is too small for Western Port. The open beaches are choppy and at the surf coast average one metre waves at Bells Beach and Torquay. I saw some pretty spectacular shots of some waves down at Bells. Yeah, Mm. it looks like it has been very good down there. It's so cold though. I just don't think I could be surfing in winter. You'd want to be a a (laughs) very keen surfer, wouldn't you? You would. Let's do some news. Do you know, Bron, probably one of the most uh, well-known sperm whales in the world is Moby Dick. But, in fact, there might be one that's just going to surpass Moby Dick. Right. And that's Eve. 
Eve. Eve, yeah. Um, this is coming out of some research that's been done in the US uh, about sperm whales. The, uh, a scientist there has been studying mitochondrial DNA in sperm whales. They had about 1,600 samples um, from all over the world, including the Indian Ocean, which they hadn't uh, sampled before, and discovered that uh, all of the whales have the same um, mitochondrial DNA origins. Wow. Which is one particular female, which was, uh, she was oh. probably existed about 80,000 years ago. Right, and she's been called Eve. That's right. Right. <laughs> Too corny for you? No, no. <laughs> wow, that's really interesting. Yeah, it is really interesting. All roads lead to Eve. Oh, they do. Mm. And uh, the, the samples were originally tested for uh, a non-profit whale organisation called Ocean Alliance. Mm. Um, and they'd previously shown that sperm whales carry, um, in fact, heavy toxic loads of heavy metals in their bodies. And to, to back up that research that the samples that they had had come from different whales, they uh, did a study on the mitochondrial DNA and realised that there was, in fact, um, very low mitochondrial diversity in, in them and then discovered that they've all come from, um, they presume, this one female. So how that's come about, they're not really sure. So uh, really fascinating. And, and, and 1,600 probably out of... A sample of 1,600 out of the total population of sperm whales is probably quite small, but... You would imagine that it would be random enough, you know, it'd be very yeah. hard to choose your sperm whale sample, which one you're going to do. But uh, that 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 if there were other leading um, chains, they would have seen them. That's right. Hmm. Uh, is there any anything in the paper about where the whales have come from? So are they are they global? It was a global sample, right. yep, including the Indian Ocean, which they'd never sampled wow. before. And usually, though, the females are quite. Um, they say in their home region and it's the males that travel around. So you would sort of not expect that to happen uh, looking at that sort of behaviour. But um, it's quite perplexing and opening up sort of some new doors about why, uh, sperm whales and their origins. Yeah. Wow. Fascinating. Yeah. So I'll put a link to that on our um, webpage because it's quite interesting read. And because uh, and sperm whales have been around for uh, millions of years, they go right back in the fossil records and there are other extinct species of them. So Does, it, does the paper talk about where they got their samples from? Presumably didn't require... Oh, their skin samples. Right. Yep. There yep. you go. So it's a non-lethal yes. testing method. Non-lethal, non-lethal, solid scientific research about <laughs> whales. That's right. Who would have thought, Angeline? <laughs> it was possible, but it is. <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, no worries. That's fabulous. And you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR. Now, each year, Melbourne's diving community excitedly waits with great anticipation for the annual arrival of masses of spider crabs that appear out of nowhere, have a great old spidey rave in the southern end of Port Phillip Bay and then go back, well, somewhere. We don't actually know. This natural phenomenon is now attracting international attention and lots and lots of questions. Where do they come from? What are they doing here? Where do they go when they're done? P.T. Hirschfield knows spider crabs better than anyone. She's out diving with them every single day. We're now crossing live to PT as she gets ready for her daily dive and for a live update from Spider Crab Central. Good morning, PT. Welcome back to Radio Marinara and to Triple R. Good morning, Bron. Fabulous to be back and to be talking about our amazing spider crabs yet again. Now, I mentioned that you were at Spider Crab Central and uh, you're, you're all kitted up, aren't you? You're ready to jump in. I am. My tank is loaded up. I've got my wetsuit halfway up and uh, really excited to go out and see what they're doing today. These guys have been around a lot. So we never really know what we're going to find when we get in. Sometimes 
we see quite a few. Sometimes we see thousands. Sometimes people come out and say, I saw one or two. So it's, it's really unpredictable and they're very predictable in being that unpredictable because they tend to be on the march around the bay and sometimes they'll settle a little bit and get involved in some molting activity. That's why they're there, so they can shed their old shells and bring out these beautiful big new orange shells which makes them very vulnerable to predators. So then we can often see that sort of predatory behaviour as well as the cuttlefish and the Australian salmon and the um, like stingrays and other spiders the crabs all start feasting on the poor newly molten that don't get away enough but uh, we don't know what we're going to see today we have had one report this morning from Chris and Tony who went in for a really early 7am dive and they said that there were probably a few hundred spider crabs sort of on the inside of the tea at Lagari Marina, but uh, they could be absolutely anywhere and they might have moved by now. So it's always a bit of hide and seek with these guys. Now you mentioned Blair so that is the current that is the current sort of headquarters of the spider crab mass, isn't it? Um, well normally word doesn't get out about the spider crabs until they've actually come in on mass and started to molt um, for that safety in numbers near that Structure. This year, word got out to the media a little bit earlier, so they were still very much out on the march, and I would still consider them to be on the march. So if we see them, we're really lucky. Um, but whether or not they will actually come into more accessible areas um, is a really... Um, it's, it's a question yet to be answered by the crabs themselves. Um, and while often they're still moving and out in deeper areas, anyone who's coming along to have a look at them needs to be incredibly careful about their own behaviour in the water. If you're going out really deep, remember there are boats everywhere. Blagari's a marina, and yet Blagari's not the only place that the crabs have been reported. They might be anywhere right now. We've seen lots of aggregations from Rosebud right up through past Blagari towards the Rento. So it's, it's just a matter about jumping in, having a look safely, and um, everyone just kind of not losing their heads over excitement, but putting safety first. Absolutely. It's a really important message, and it's one of those things that, uh, I mean, to me, I see this as being sort of Vic, Melbourne's equivalent of coral spawning. It happens once a year. It's absolutely spectacular. For some, There's some bizarre uh, eco-synchronicity that brings all these crabs together at the same time, and, and I know that that's something that the um, that the crustacean scientists are really kind of starting to pick up and, and look at trying to work out what these cues are is it water temperature is it is there a lunar component to it because it's still something that we really don't know very much about isn't it that's right very interestingly enough um, the, there's a huge giant um, cuttlefish aggregation that happens at the exact same time as our Melbourne spider crabs, which happens over in Wyala in South Australia. So there seems to be some sort of cosmic influence that brings these, at least these two sets of aggregations together for mating and obviously the spider crabs for their molting, which happens before mating. Um, we haven't actually observed much mating behaviour, so potentially that happens once the spider crabs who survive the molting process go out um, back into the depths of Port Phillip Bay. Maybe they um, find their mates on the way out. But uh, there's certainly many questions, tons of fascination. What we do see and what we can document is fascinating in and of itself. Um, a couple of days ago, I um, videoed a spider crab molting entirely from its old shell. And, you know, the things that we can witness are completely fascinating, but 
so much more study, observation, particularly formal studies. Some um, marine biology students are now starting to look at that more closely and to see what are the questions, what can we learn from it? And in the meantime, with what we do and don't know, just to really love and enjoy them, but to appreciate them, respect them and to protect them. That's right. And I was going to mention too, for the crustaceivores out there, uh, not to get too excited at the prospect of a free feed because they apparently taste quite disgusting. I know yeah, you're, you're um, a vegetarian, aren't you? So it's... I am a vegetarian, um, but I've heard they taste like mud and they're a complete waste of time to human predators. Um, but certainly they taste good if you're a cuttlefish or a stingray. Yeah. So I was going to ask you about that too in terms of um, the... You mentioned the cuddles in Wyala. Are you noticing the cuddles in Port Phillip Bay are starting to appear because it's when it's when they when these spider crabs molt and they effectively become soft shell crabs for a time until their new shells harden up and as you were saying yeah. it makes them really vulnerable are you noticing the rays and the cuddles are starting to come in um, certainly there have been um, seasonal appearances of most of the types of marine animals that we see. Um, we, we just seem to be coming a little bit off the seahorse season and more into the cuttlefish season. Yes, the, the juvenile cuttlefish are becoming the mature cuttlefish and so certainly seeing quite a few more of those around in very healthy state. Um, and again, their cycle is determined by um, their maturity and then once they mate, they lay their eggs and they die. So, you know, I think it's really important that we recognise that it's not just a fascination with one of our species that, you know, 80% of marine species in Victoria are endemic to our waters. Uh, but to actually say, well, they, they're all very much interrelated in this ecosystem that um, I don't think the cuttlefish are there purely to feast on spider crabs, but I'm sure that they, they do the dance of joy when the crabs <laughs> do start making their appearance in molt, And they do seem fairly good feed out of them. Yeah, that's right. I was going to ask you about the behaviours because you've been, as I mentioned earlier, you've been photographing and uh, videoing the uh, the arrival of the spider crabs and their behaviours for years. Have you noticed a change over the last few years in terms of their behaviour but also just in terms of the numbers coming in? I think because we have really become a bit more aware of them earlier in their aggregation processes this year, it's allowed us see and observe and to deduce more about them. Um, so we've been able to see that they do potentially only gather maybe um, at, at the piers and the structures once the bulk of the masses have um, molted sort of in deeper waters or out away from the structures. That remains to be seen. You know, we may not yet have seen the start of what we've always thought of as the spider crab aggregations. Maybe what we always thought was the start is actually the end of the process where those that don't have the safety in the millions go towards the structures and do their molts. So we're still trying to observe and, and put the big picture puzzle into place in terms of how many pieces we see. And we seem to be seeing it a lot earlier. By this stage, perhaps, we hadn't even had them on our radar yet until they'd all come in and were starting to do mass malting aggregations. But certainly from the reports we've had today, um, if you're out looking under some of these um, local Mornington Peninsula piers, um, there has been a lot of taking place even in the last 24 48 hours so we we don't know yet where we are in their cycle of are we near what we thought was the start previously are we somewhere in the middle or are we actually maybe even near the end of is cycle so what we're trying to do is to gather our citizen science um, 
observations together through the Spider Crabs Melbourne Facebook page. And in that way, when you've got lots of divers who are doing lots of documenting of their observations, we start to get a more comprehensive picture that we can start to say, well, this is how we think they operate on an annual basis. And then start to make predictions about what is typical behaviour, what is atypical behaviour. So sometimes we, our observations might change, but maybe that's just because we're observing a lot more and getting a lot more information than we've had to base our deductions on in the past. Yeah, it's a really good example of citizen science at its best that you've got this whole community who are all very enthusiastic about this particular phenomenon all coming together and and en masse actually interestingly you know as a parallel here it's almost a a parallel situation where you're all coming together en masse as well and and putting all of your observations into the one place so um uh the facebook page again for people who want to have a look or or be involved spider crabs melbourne Spider Crabs Melbourne and if people are interested in also seeing some of my own photography um, just as a big Spidey fan I spend as much time as I can doing video work um, over the last week I filmed a molt I filmed one Spider Crab actually climbing up my leg and trying to get onto my head um, <laughs> you know, so, uh, I also you know while that's humorous I also um, filmed one Spider Crab that hadn't molted yet essentially massacring and cannibalising another live, freshly mocked spider crab, which is quite harrowing and traumatic to both film and for viewers to watch. But I, I guess that kind of documentation helps us to fill in the picture of you know, why we're so fascinated by them and to learn more about them. Well, that's right. And, I mean, that's what happens, isn't it? That's nature and, and that, that's what Attenborough has done so well over all these decades. It, you, it's actually capturing what actually goes on out there and making it visible for everybody. Um, PT, your uh, website again? So, Spider Crabs Melbourne is one Facebook page. My personal page where I shall share all of my um, local and overseas scuba versus tumour under adventures of all different marine animals is called Pink Tank Scuba and you can find that on Pink Tank Scuba Facebook and www.pinktankscuba.com and on that blog page um, the first link there is directly to all of my spider crab images and articles and videos for anyone who might be interested in having a look. Oh, it's an absolutely wonderful page and I can't recommend it highly enough. You can just get lost and spend hours and hours looking at all your um, your great footage. Um, a couple of things to finish on. One, water temperature at the moment, PT, for people <laughs> who are interested in heading out there and maybe having a look. Uh, very, very, very cold. <laughs> it will get cold, but at the moment we're looking at about 11 or 12 degrees in the water. And uh, and you would be well advised if you're thinking of getting in to wear some thermals, um, a hood and gloves, and it would be um, really good for you to have as, as much um, protection as you possibly um, But certainly worth getting in, even though it's cold water, the, the marine life in our cold Melbourne water is totally different to the way it is in summer. We tend to see, in fact, even perhaps a lot more. So um, keep an eye out if you're, you're diet for your seahorses, your stingrays, your cuttlefish and, of course, any big spider crabs, big um, big groups of fish that might be also on the lookout for the spiders. So there is more than enough to see and well worth getting into the Great. And that final safety message too, because I know this is an important one. There have already been a couple of incidents and it's one of those things we don't really want to see locked down um, by the Blegari Marina at the moment but other marinas as well. Um, just to be really careful out there. 
Yeah, absolutely. If you're getting in the water, please don't dive beyond your own capacity. If you're getting yourself out into areas that you don't have a compass and can't navigate yourself back from underneath the water, then please don't go out that far at all because to surface in an area where might be boats going past could be catastrophic and no spidey sighting is worth any risk to your safety, your health or your life or anyone else's. So spidey fans, get in the water, keep an ear out, <clears throat> keep an eye out for those reports on the page but safety first brilliant thanks pt we're going to let you go because i know you want to go out there and have a check check them out and um and you'll be putting some of those photos up on those pages we'll put a link to those on our facebook page and and have a ball and we'll catch up with you again soon will do thanks so much great to talk to you thanks pt you too Bye-bye. See you later. Bye for now. P.T. Hirschfield there and uh, on the spider crabs in the bay. We'll put those links to our Facebook page. Absolutely amazing. It is. And she knows so much about them. She so does. knowledgeable. Oh. She's, she's obviously spent hours watching them. She does. She's out there every day. Unbelievable, Crazy. especially with the water temperature this cold at the moment. So, yeah, hats off to you, PT. Amazing. Estamos escuchando Radio Marinada en tres triple R. I can't hear that one enough. I love that one. It's very gorgeous. That little, little ID in Marinada. It's 9.31. Bit of news? Yeah. You know, we've talked before about the Ocean Cleanup Project, which is um, being run out of the Netherlands by a young man called Boyan Slat. Uh, and uh, on the 6th of June, he announced that the project has successfully been funded uh, to do their North Sea prototype test, which will start in summer, oh. early summer 2016. Fantastic. So much uh, later this year, because going with the Northern Summers, uh, and they've been funded for uh, 1.5 million euros, which has been contributed, a third of which has come from a, uh, a Dutch dredging and marine contractor, uh, Royal Basalis Westminster, and, uh, and the government of the Netherlands has put in uh, uh, another 0.5 million, and the remainder has been pledged by an anonymous philanthropist. So he gets uh, tracks some very good funding. Uh, and the prototype's going to be about 100 metres, so it's uh, basically some booms, some uh, not, not as simple as booms, but, but like that in structure, uh, which sit about 100 metres, and they'll be deployed to the Dutch Sea 23 kilometres off the coast of The Hague for a year, where they'll be uh, testing and monitoring it and analysing the behaviour to see how the structure performs, because they've got to you know get over the ocean conditions and also the wear and tear and fatigue of the materials uh, and then after that um, they're planning 2020 is the start date so they're on track to make this that's fantastic it is fantastic and it's it's so great to see somebody especially someone so young wanting to attack one of the ocean's worst problems um, and really having some success and a lot of support and uh, I mean it's Fantastic. It's a great company. They employ about 25 people. They've got 100 volunteers. Um, and they're really going, you know, full steam ahead at, at having a good go at cleaning up the oceans. He's phenomenal. I remember the first time you brought this story to us, and it was a few years ago, and he hadn't even turned 20 yet. No, he was that's a, right. an engineering yeah. student who'd kind of put this thing together and, and it was actually looking feasible. And he'd got Richard Branson's attention, I think, at that stage. He had, yeah. yeah. They don't identify their other donors, um, but they're going to re release the details of their test and uh, their prototype on the 22nd of June in The Hague. So, Brilliant. Yeah. Well, well uh, stay tuned. Stay tuned. Maybe an update on that next week or definitely next time you're in. Next time I'm in. Definitely. All right. Good. Thanks, Angeline.
You're welcome. 26 minutes to 10 and in just a moment we're going to be joined in the studio by Bronwyn Pringle and she's from La Mama. She's going to be talking about this great new production that has been put together for the school holidays called Beneath and Beyond and it's all about the ocean so we're really looking forward to uh, to that. You know, speaking of that cold weather outside, the Caram Lifesaving Club and Patterson, Patterson Lakes Canoe Club is having a winter solstice swim today at 12 o'clock. Uh, no wetsuits, soup for everybody. <laughs> And a prize for the longest in the water. So get down there, Caram Life Saving Club. Do we know what the prize is? No. Well, that would just, like, you know, that would ruin the motivation. It's, it's a mystery. Surprise is a surprise. 12 o'clock today, if you're brave. Wow. Maybe a fancy hot water bottle. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> or a sauna. <laughs> wow. Oh, good on you guys. Thanks for ringing in. Somebody rang in and told us about that one. Thank you. It is 23 minutes to 10 and this is Radio Marinara. Now picture this. All is dark at the bottom of the sea. A submarine arrives and out pops a sea diver. Then you blast off through the atmosphere, float past nebulae and your rocket lands on a strange planet. You meet an alien and have a space disco. Woo! No, it's not a dream after an MSG-laden takeaway. It's Beneath and Beyond, La Mama Theatre's new production for you and your little squids as you take a splash into the upcoming school holidays. To tell us more, we're welcoming now Bronwyn Pringle from La Mama to talk about this great school holidays 4D adventure through underwater landscapes, alien worlds created out of recycled plastic. Good morning. Hi. Great to have you here. It's lovely to be here. Now, do we call you Bronwyn or Bron? Bron or Bronwyn. Either works, I, just don't call me Bronny. This is crazy. I feel outnumbered here by the bronze. <laughs> it's the invasion of the bronze. I'm with you. Yeah. I always say, my answer is exactly the same. Yeah. Bron or Bronwyn, but don't call me Bronny. Yeah. Only my uh, mum gets to do that. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't do that anymore people. either. Yeah. <laughs> um, where did this idea come from, Beneath and Beyond? So we're a bunch of designers and we kind of look for environments that we can create amazing imagery and obviously the bottom of the sea and outer space is incredible mm. um so we kind of start with looking for a space that that is exciting and then we start to research the images um and then we kind of craft a show out of that okay yeah. what's your role you're one of the creators yes yes so i'm predominantly a lighting designer but, okay um as part of this team i'm kind of one of them the main instigators right you know the weird stuff Stuff comes out of my brain. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and do you and your creative team have a background in marine? Like, why did you choose to, to go into the marine environment for this particular show? Um, basically because it is so rich with imagery. Mm. Um, so the last show we made was all about um, theatre history and, and looking at... Um, all of the kind of incredible special effects and that kind of stuff you can make in theatre. And then this time we wanted to sort of step outside that environment and look for somewhere else that had incredible images. Yeah. Um, as you probably know, our name is the daughter of the Welsh sea god. Yes. Um, and it's quite appropriate for me because my family are obsessive scuba divers. Right. My my dad was scuba diving when he used to um, go out on the beach with that kind of like crazy O-rings and stuff. Like you'd put on jumpers and then you'd peel on this neoprene and then you'd put O-rings around your wrist and everything. Um, and people used to come up to him on the beach and want to touch him to just check that he was like a proper person. Um, so it's quite appropriate that I'm the daughter of the Welsh sea god because <laughs> I am a little bit, except he's from Hawthorne. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't matter where you're from, does yeah. it? So talk us through the show. What happens? It's very family friendly and we made that point, but it really, this is for families and kids. Well, actually... 
actually our biggest goal is that it's for absolutely all access. So yeah. we've made a really big effort to make it wheelchair friendly and deaf friendly and blind friendly and, and everything. We have a relaxed performance uh, on the Tuesday in the morning. Um, and and so basically you come into an immersive environment and it's all around you and things happen sometimes just for one audience member at a time so there'll be little little spots you can kind of look into a corner and something special will be happening um so there you know there's a story that kind of goes through it but mostly it's about going and experiencing the environment ah, okay yeah. um now you've got a trailer for your show which we're going to put on our facebook page and Excellent. there's a message within the show isn't there about what we know about our planet's oceans compared to what we know about space and that's the connection yeah. really isn't it yeah we as we research we found there's a lot of imagery that's actually really similar like in the deep ocean we know just as little about the deep ocean as we know about outer space but the things we do know is that there are these incredible glowy things mm. which obviously as a lighting designer is kind of gets me really excited <laughs> <laughs> and and the fact also um as you've point out in your trailer that only three people have been to our deepest oceans more people have actually been to the moon correct to the, to the, than to the bottom yeah. of the oceans yeah. it's pretty uh confronting when you see that yeah i'm sure dr shane's listening right now and kind of going <laughs> yes and that's how it should be no he's not you know james cameron is one of the only people oh right yeah. In yes. all of his research for Titanic. Yeah. Besides, he can afford it. Well, there's that element yeah. too. And there's no equivalent... Well, I, I suppose there is. I was going to say there's no equivalent of the NASA program, and the, and there would be, but in terms of the funding and the interest, it's nowhere near of that scale. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and less percent, less than 10% of the deep oceans have been explored. Less than 10%. Yeah. Wow. It's really tiny. We hardly know anything about what goes on right down the bottom mm. so it's an amazing place to kind of imagine now you've got kids shows and kids workshops what's yep. the difference between the two and what so happens at them in the workshops the kids will get to make things out of recycled plastic so in in designing the show one of the things we looked at was what we were going to make it all out of and um we're quite excited about the idea that that we could put into the show a message about reusing and recycling things and them not ending up in the ocean, mm. which is obviously a really, really bad spot for plastic. Yeah, that's right. Um, so we're kind of making an ocean out of plastic to point out that you shouldn't put plastic in the ocean. <laughs> it's a little... It's a little bit illogical. Oh, the message is there, though. The kids, yeah. kids will get that, yeah. as it's, you were saying. It's about drawing attention to it, and it's our way of reusing that plastic. Yeah. Um, and uh, where are you getting your plastic from? Um, just our homes, mostly. Um, Reverse Art Truck, which is an amazing resource that is in... Um, Ringwood, where they recycle all kinds of things. They ask for, for donations um, and community groups and a lot of schools go there. Yeah. Um, so this is on from June 30, so Correct. it's the week after next until July 10 um, at La Mama Theatre. Uh, where is La Mama for people who've not been there before? So the La Mama, there's two La Mama theatres. One is on Faraday Street in Carlton and the other one is on Drummond Street. And we're in the Drummond Street okay. one. But the workshops are at the Faraday Street. Faraday Street one. Okay, yeah. so it's important. But you've got a website that can... If you look at the La Mama website, www.lamama.com.au, you'll find all the details. Excellent. And as you're saying, it's all ages and it's accessible. And you've got Auslan interpreted shows as well. Yep. Yeah. So the show is non-verbal, but we have Auslan interpreters available 
um, basically to to be there to explain to the kids, you know, what you can and you can't touch in the same way that if you're under the sea you shouldn't touch everything. In our show you're allowed to touch things but you have to be a bit careful. Yeah, yeah. very good. And, um, and the cost? It's $15 concession and $25 adults. Okay, fantastic. And $10 for the workshops. $10 for the workshops. Hi, this is Wayne Lynch and you're listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR. Oh, Nerida's on fire today. She's picking the best station announcements. <laughs> oh, I so loved our chat with Wayne Lynch. And you are listening to Radio Marinara on 3RRR uh, from Deep Space. We're now off to Sea Shepherd Australia's HQ headquarters in Williamstown to catch up on the news of our great global sea protectors and their campaigns from the recent summer, as well as a new campaign which is being planned for the months ahead. Erica McLoonan is manager of the Sea Shepherd flagship, the Steve Irwin. We're now crossing to Steve Irwin to talk to Erica about their recent summer campaigns, Operation Icefish 2 and Operation Driftnet, and to find out what's going on in organised the upcoming Operation Jadara. Good morning, Erica. Welcome to Triple R. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, it's great to have you here. Uh, Manager of the Steve Irwin, what does that job involve? Oh, it's actually uh, quite a bundle of tasks, really. Um, basically, I take over from the captain from once we're coming into port. Um, basically, the idea is to prepare the ship for campaigns. So, working with our chief engineer, our bosun on board the deck, and also our chief cooks to make sure that they're all ready for the upcoming campaigns, to um, prepare the crew and training, and to make sure the ship's actually fully functional and operational for the next campaign. Now, you've um, you've been out to sea. I was having a look at Sea Shepherd website last night and uh, saw um, some images of you, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but your your role with Sea Shepherd is not just a land-based one. You've been out there haven't you yes that's correct i was out on uh, operation icefish 2 and the uh, driftnet campaign which was earlier this year yep. now tell us i wanted to ask you a little bit about yourself because you've had an interesting journey to what you're doing now as a, an eco activist you've actually come from the world of corporate finance so i find that absolutely fascinating can you tell us a little bit about your personal journey yeah, absolutely. Um, basically, yeah, I came from corporate finance. I uh, studied commerce at university. I worked for uh, a couple of private companies and also government. Um, basically, yeah, I just got to a stage where I was um, a bit over the bureaucracy of, of large companies and also governments and sitting behind a desk and not really being able to uh, be in touch with the natural environment and to care about things that I actually have a passion about. I uh, got to a stage where I was financially in a position where I could actually leave work and, and volunteer full-time. I was always in awe of what Sea Shepherd does and the direct impact that they have. Um, they just are able to actually gather resources together, get people that are so passionate and put their lives on hold to actually uphold international laws, to go out there, put themselves at risk. And I just absolutely admire that courage and I really wanted to be part of it. So that's how I transitioned. But of course, that was a huge step um, in how comfortable my life was before to living on the ship full time, um, not earning any money at all um, and being very limited um, on actually having a normal kind of lifestyle. Yeah, I imagine the transition must have been massive. And you started out by being a volunteer. Uh, you were a deckhand, weren't you, to start yeah, with? I was a, yeah, I was on deck doing rust repair every single day and very, very dirty jobs. And I loved it. And I was only going to be there for a month. Uh, that's my original plan. I was I was living in Sydney and I moved down and I thought, yep, yeah, I'll, I'll do this for a month. You know, this is a feel-good thing. And, and then I'll go back to, to normal work and get the career going and... 
um, buy a house and do all of these things. And I just came down and I was like, this has got so much more meaning. And I couldn't let it go and I stayed. Wow. So how did you transition from being a deckhand to manager? How did that happen? So the first month I was on deck and um, I was basically just learning about the ship and I had no idea. I'd never sailed before. I'd never done anything like this before. Um, I had an amazing bosun uh, that I worked with predominantly throughout the year. He trained me up and upskilled me a lot. Um, I ended up being bosun's mate, which means uh, second in command on, on board the actual uh, ship of the deck crew. That enabled me to understand what was happening on deck, but also have a little bit of visibility about how, the, how other departments worked. Um, and then going out to sea and understanding the operational side of the ship enabled me to actually have more skills to understand what the ship needed. And then I slowly progressed into being trained up for the managing role, which is back in port. Um, and that's how I sort of uh, stepped up to these different roles through basically experience and having a lot of leadership around me that um, were happy to take the risk and train me up and make sure that I could actually run the ship when captains went around and officers went around. So. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky and it comes from a really dedicated group of people that what, that want to share those skills and, and want to make sure that people can carry on what this organisation does. Oh, that's right. And the leadership there is just second to none. It's, it's been amazing to watch over the, the decades. Um, let's go straight to the two most recent summer campaigns, um, Operation Icefish 2. Um, we had Peter, Peter, your captain, one of your captains, Peter Hammerstead, on not that long ago speaking about it. Um, just for our listeners who, who missed uh, that interview, just a quick summary of Operation Icefish 2 and op- Operation Driftnet as well. What were those two, those two campaigns about? Sure. Uh, Operation Icefish 2 was basically um, tying up a lot of loose ends from our first Operation Icefish 1 campaign, which was shutting down one of the last six illegal uh, fishing vessels from Antarctica. Uh, We knew that the Viking was down there fishing illegally. We left uh, quite late uh, in Australia to actually find this vessel. Once we found out that this vessel had actually left Antarctic waters, we... uh, wanted to follow them and actually intercept them but along the way that's how Driftnet came about so the timeline of these two campaigns is a little bit confusing but basically it's shutting down illegal fishing vessels so once we found out that the Viking had actually left Antarctic waters um, we came across them and we followed them up to Indonesia and the Indonesian government uh, took control of that vessel ended up running it aground to make a, a point that they were against illegal fishing and they actually uh, blew that vessel up in Indonesian waters. Um, so that caused a lot of uh, media coverage, which was great to actually promote how much illegal uh, fishing is actually occurring mm. uh, throughout the world. But then it obviously introduced Operation uh, Driftnet, which is about six illegal uh, Chinese fishing vessels. And that was not that far off the coast of Australia. So when we went out to actually... Um, perform Operation, uh, sorry, Ice Fish 2, um, that's when we actually stumbled across these illegal Chinese fishing vessels. Uh, so we had kind of two uh, campaigns happening in one, and it was to find the Viking and then obviously shut down these other fishing vessels that we came across. So it's a little bit confusing, but basically the story goes is that we ended up um, shutting down the Viking and we followed one of the Chinese fishing vessels all the way back up to Hong Kong. Um, the Chinese government's now in the process of prosecuting these vessels. Oh, that's just and then such an important and um, a successful outcome for, for what you've done. You've got another campaign coming up, Operation Jadara. Um, so you're in prep with that at the moment. Tell us about that one. What's Operation Jadara about? So this is focusing on BP planning to drill off the coast of the Great Australian Bight. 
Um, we know that if there is a spill happening, we basically won't be able to control it. It'll affect a huge amount of land and especially uh, it'll affect the coast of Adelaide. Because of that coastline, we can't actually control that oil spill and that'll be so hard to clean up if there's any disasters. So this is a proactive approach about going out and showing to Australians and actually showing to governments and, and raising that profile and saying, look, if anything goes wrong here, we can't do anything about it. And this actually impacts a lot of uh, a whale nursery that's going through there, a lot of whales that migrate through that area and how this will actually affect the Australian ecosystem. So we don't want to have this kind of reactionary approach that normally happens and we know that of, of late how many oil spills there have been around the world but there's a huge a huge risk and the weather there is terrible at times so the risks that are involved in uh, drilling for oil down there is actually quite prominent we know that this is happening and we want to actually increase that awareness be proactive about it and make sure that if anything does happen that we're obviously across it and we can continue to pressure bp and the australian government to actually make some changes here and to not drill when does this one kick off, Erica? This kicks off on the 5th of August. So we'll be out for approximately a few weeks down that way. Um, we'll be recording and documenting um, a lot of media and be releasing that media out throughout August. Great. We'll, um, we're going to catch up with you again towards the end of July just before this campaign kicks off. Um, and in the meantime, where can people go if they want some more information on Jadara? So Just they can go onto our uh, Australian Sea Shepherd website and also the MY Stevo and Facebook page. We have uh, two ship stores that are happening down in Williamstown. Uh, so that's at 2 Ann Street in Williamstown from 10 a.m. until 4 p.m. this Sunday and next Sunday before we close the ship up to the public. So we have to actually get everything ready to go to sea again. So we have these two ship stores coming up obviously today and next week. Um, but obviously our Facebook page is, is one of the best pages to go to to get up-to-date content, so we right. Facebook page. We'll put all those details on our Facebook page, Erica, and people can go directly there and have a look for themselves. Thanks so much for joining us. It's been great to meet you uh, on air <laughs> and, to, and, to, <laughs> and to talk to you, and uh, we'll catch up with you again uh, in the next, uh, next month or so and find out um, what's happening with Jadara and how people can get involved as well in supporting Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Erica. It's been great. We'll catch you again soon. Okay, bye for now. And, uh, look, thanks also to Natalie, um, Natalie Banks from Sea Shepherd, who uh, put us in touch after last week's show to talk about all this important uh, important stuff going on. Thanks uh, also to our guest today, P.T. Hirschfield, about spider crabs in the bay, uh, uh, Bronwyn Pringle for about La Mama, and thank you, Angeline. Thank you, Bron and Nerida. And thanks, thanks. Nerida. And thanks to Kent. He's been out there looking after all these phone calls from you and uh, we'll put this show up as a podcast. Stay tuned for Radiotherapy. Thanks for letting us cut into your time a little bit, guys. And uh, stay tuned for Einstein and Go Go as well. Have a wonderful Sunday. Next Sunday, it is Community Cup Day. We're going to have Dr Beach in studio as well as I think John, Jeff, Rob Gell's coming in to talk about uh, the upcoming Coast to Coast Conference in Melbourne in September. So a massive show already underway for next weekend. Have a wonderful Sunday and a great week. We'll catch you next Sunday. Bye for now. Radio Marinara is brought to you by Deakin University's School of Life and Environmental Sciences. Triple R Sponsors. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. 
truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.